This day is His day, and I love that God is so real. As I say often, He could be any God He wants. He's still God. He was the God He was before you, but He chose for His creation to be relational. He did not have to do that, and I love that we get to have a relationship with Him. That's a gift. That's a gift that we have. And it's very easy to take it for granted. Just as a child with parents that grow up with many things, it can be easy for the child to not realize what they have. And every generation actually says, well, you don't know what we had when we were growing up. That's what every generation says to their children. You don't know how it was when we grew up. And you have it so good. You have it, and it's true though. Every generation gets more and more, and especially just things, life just comes easier and easier as technologies increase and things increase. That things are good in this country right now, and life is easy for the children, and they can easily just disrespect. They have no idea. I mean, my generation, I'm already that much removed, but especially now another generation, our children, World War II and the Great Depression where they literally had nothing, and it's very easy for us just to take for granted what we have. And God is looking at His church in this hour the same way. We can get so used to His goodness, which is amazing. You're not telling your kids, I'm going to take it away from you. I just want you to understand what it costs to get this to you. Generations of cost, actually. Generations of suffering and pain, but that we just kept pushing on as people, using this country as that example, and this nation came back. And we prospered and we grew. And now you have what you have because people paid for that. Not just with money. And God is, wants his church today to understand. We're going to take communion today. And I'm going to preach shorter. Yeah, right? No, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I will. And uh, Jean-Jacques Molinaire is going to lead us in communion. But as just wanted to... Uh, preach a little while first before we do. And, and when we have communion, it's an inward thing. It's a reflection of the heart. It's a heart thing. I believe that's what God wants to speak to us about is to look inward, look at your hearts, to, to do an evaluation, to do a check of your heart today. We get just so in the, mo in the motions of life so easily. It's just so, it's not hard to get caught in the motions. It's hard to unwind. It's hard to relax. Who tries to relax and you're like, I need relaxing time from my relaxing time? Because your unwind time is still so, you need like weeks on end <laughs> before you finally are like, okay, I need something to do. It takes like forever just to finally unwind. I never have enough. I do have a lot of unwind time. I pull away. I try to just pull away often, clear my head, for what we're called to do, for what we are as a family, and it still never seems like I have enough unwind time and just never get there. And you just, then you just press back in and say, okay, Lord, we got to get to it. That's what it is. But God's calling us in our hearts. There is a place. And I spoke to you last week about that secret place. There is a place in God where we can walk. He walked among, amongst devils. Literal devils. He walked amongst his own people that hated him as well. He walked amongst 
a world that should have been looking for him and wasn't, and, and it must have just broke his heart. The one thing that we do forget is he did pay a price for us, but I wonder the weight on his heart for his own people not wanting him. You know, that's one of those things. It's not written in there, but I, you know, that's a weight. I wonder what that must have felt like upon him. And yet Jesus never, ever, he never, ever loses his peace. And like I've been saying, it's easy to say, well, he's Jesus. But Jesus said that he's going to come inside of you through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the same, he said, I leave with you peace. The very thing he had, he left with us. But many times we don't, we're not at peace, are we? We're wrestling and we're fighting and we're struggling. And we're doing this and doing that and all these things. And that, it's not the things, it's not the stuff, it's not the doing. It's the heart inside of it. It's the, men, the mental state while you're doing. You can be, you know, you can be doing, 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 doing for God, but you're actually just doing, doing, doing for you in God's name. God's kingdom, you know, the, one of the questions I want to ask us today, I want you just to look inward. I'm just going to say some things. If it's not for you, then don't take it offensively. Some things are going to apply to you and some things aren't. So this is just a, a heart-checking Sunday. And then go home. Maybe you didn't think it applied to you. Maybe it does in an hour or two. <laughs> Maybe when you let it sink in. But one of the questions that I felt like the Lord was asking is, whose kingdom are you furthering? Yours or his? You know, it's very easy evaluation. Just look at your time. Percentage-wise, we have, you know, X amount of time that we try to stay awake. We try, we go right to the brink. I mean, like, when I get in bed, I collapse. <laughs> I'm tired. And that, I mean, that's by my own doing. I'm not blaming that on, I mean, 90% of that is because the life I've chosen. Some people are pushed and they have no choice, but I mean, I, pu- I make myself do more than I need to do. Run, 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 do this, do that, and I get, um, ugh, I'm asleep. Dawn will tell you. She wants to spend a little time with me and I'm already asleep. Look at your time and you can tell immediately whose kingdom you're furthering, whether it's yours or his. You know, in the Bible, Old Testament, it was law. New Testament, we say that God, that Jesus fulfilled the law. Old Testament, we have things that were rigid and strict, and they boxed you in, which Paul says later, he says, the the law wasn't bad. It was your sin nature that bucked against the law. It's not the law. It's just that you can't do it because your nature doesn't want to listen to anything or anybody or be boxed in in anything. Now, Christ, when we come to Christ, we are outside of the boxes of the law, but the laws themselves haven't actually gone away. And this is a misconception in Christianity. A lot of Christians, they, don't, they think we can just cut the Old Testament, take a razor blade, it becomes a lot easier to carry, and they just cut the Old Testament out of their Bible, put some super glue, and just fold it right over to the New Testament, and that's all we need. But all of the things that were in the Old Testament are then fulfilled in Christ, and they come through Christ in our relationship through Christ. One of those things was an offering, a tenth. God required a tenth of them, of everything they, ever, they produced, anything they ever had, anything they ever made. 
anything, whether it was a gift or whether it was your work, however something that wasn't yours before from the ground or from a person that came to you, when it got to you, God required 10% of that. And I had heard it once said, I wonder if that 10th as a Christian is actually now, because we have in Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1 says, Romans 12.1 says that our lives now are a sacrifice. It says, and so dear brothers, I plead with you to give, what's that say? Your bodies, give yourselves to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It was worship, actually, when they gave that portion. It was telling God, uh, God, you're God, and I'm just a little man. I'm a child. You're my father. I'm only here because of you. And I'm just going to give you this little piece of me back. That's it. This is all that I want, God said. That's just all that I want. But it shows me that you honor me, that I'm God. And then someone said, New Testament now, because the sacrifice, these were, this was animal sacrifice. This was the blood of animals. As you know, they, you brought your sacrifice. You brought your gifts to the temple, gave it to the Lord. If it was the animal, they would sacrifice the animal and the priest would eat of it and then it would be burned to the Lord. It was a gift to the Lord. It was out of, it was gone from you. Now we though have become a sacrifice with Christ. Christ became the sacrifice for your sin. You cannot sacrifice for your sin. Did you know that? There's nothing you can do to cover your sin. That sacrifice is finished. But the sacrifice, that was one of many. This is another just misconception. We think of one sacrifice, Jesus, as the sacrifice for our sins, as all of the sacrifices together. And yes, it is, except that the Bible tells us to join with him and become a sacrifice with him. And anyway, back to what I was saying, this person said, well, if that's the case, it's not law. But then if God wanted a tenth of your produce, a tenth of your things, the New Testament, now that we're the sacrifice written on our heart, does he want a tenth of your time and your life? A tenth of your day? Imagine we gave God one-tenth. And I'm preaching to myself here today, too. Imagine I just gave God one-tenth of my day. 2.4 hours. And you're going, are you crazy? 2.4 hours in prayer and in the Word? It's only one-tenth of our day. Imagine. Imagine what the church, imagine, again, this is just heart evaluation. I'm just speaking heart evaluation. Imagine if New Testament were the sacrifice with Christ. Remember, Christ gave 100%. He's 100%. He just asked us for 10 said, I'll give you the other 90% of your day. Just give me 10% of your day. I think we give him about 1% most days. If we want to honestly evaluate, sometimes 0%. A 
Look, let's just, we'll just lay it all out there, right? Just, it's just us here. Who's given him 0% some days? It doesn't mean you weren't you speaking to, if you're a believer, especially the more you walk with him, who talks to God all day long? You're just thinking God, right? But there's a separation that I talked about with Christ. Jesus is the son of God. You don't think he needs separation. Why would he need separation? He's the son of God. And yet it says that Jesus withdrew often. Why? Because it was that shutdown of everything else. That even though I should be a believer 24-7, even though let's, he's Christ, I'm Christ 24-7, but there is the time where even though I'm Christ and I can bypass all these things and I can look past this and look past that and he cut straight through the symbol of him walking upon the, on the waves, right? He walked right upon the water. The things of this life did not affect him and yet he withdrew. There was a place in God that he was compelled as the son of God to get to. Which drives me to the second question I want you to ask yourselves today. And it's, are we giving God our best or are we giving God our leftovers? It's a very simple question. Hooked on phonics, says Tony likes to say. The gospel is hooked on phonics. It's only been complicated by humans. The gospel is simple. The Bible is simple. Part of the complication is just translation. Just the fact that it was put in English 400 years ago the first time, and it's taken time to get into 2017 English. Sometimes just the confusion is literally just translation. But nonetheless, that's humanity. Humanity's trying to put religion on something very simple. Jesus just stood here and just spoke to you. The confusion was not in the words he said. The part, the, the mystery in his parable was the hidden thing in the heart. It wasn't the words he was saying. He was just speaking normal stories, normal words. They weren't words you had to go look up in your dictionary. Just normal. The mystery was the, was the thing inside those normal words in his heart. The question today I want us to ask is, are we giving God our best or our leftovers? And I just want you to look at a story we have in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. And these two sons, picking up in verse 2, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 says, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd and Cain cultivated the ground. When they grew up, they got jobs. Come on, I want you to say that out loud. When I grow up, I have to get a job. <laughs> and that stinks. You can say that. They got jobs. That's all that this is saying. They each got a job. I like this, I like that. God said, fine. There's nothing here that says one job was better than the other. They're just doing what they liked. This is who they became. You are who you became, just so you know, until you change it. You are the person that you became. Chapter, uh, verse 3. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, what's that word there? Some. 
The Hebrew word here that this word some gets translated just means part of. Part of. He gave a part of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Sounds good to me, doesn't it? Gave a part of what he had to God. Verse 4. Abel also brought a gift. Everybody say out loud. Abel also brought a gift. They both brought gifts. They both recognized God, and they both brought God something. Come on, I want you to say that out loud. Sorry, I'm just making it real simple. They both brought a gift. Say that out loud. So there's no question it wasn't, this is not denial of God. This is not the world we're talking about. These are two people that both recognize God. They both brought God a gift. But the Bible tells us, this is Genesis chapter 4, by the way. The Bible's just begun. There's not even law yet. Moses hasn't happened. No Ten Commandments. No law. This is pure. This is outside the garden. This is, so it's without, they're not walking with God, but it's pre-Christ, pre-law. This is just, somehow there was this unwritten, or if it was written, we don't know about it, but they knew that there was something to recognize God. And it says that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Verse 5. But he did not. Who did not? The Lord did not accept Cain and his gift. God accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain's gift. But they both gave a gift. But they both gave God something. Wouldn't it be better to give God something better than nothing? God's not interested in your something. There's this amazing thing through Christ. See, this is what happens. Jesus comes. He becomes the sacrifice. And he does something amazing. He separates this divide that they had. The divide, the reason that they're outside the garden at all outside of walking with God. And Jesus, he, he brings that separation, rather, back together and joins us back with God, connects us back to God. And he does not need anything from you to do that. He did that before you said yes. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. And if you haven't received him into your life yet... The same thing that he did then, which was already done, is for you to accept and receive freely. And he will do that. We can crawl back to him a billion times. And every single time, he will take you back and straighten you out and love you just the same, whether you come back to him or not. And that doesn't require anything on your part. But there is a a greater way to live. There is a way that God is looking for us to live, and it is, he describes us as coming to him as children, but then as we come to him, then he teaches us. Then there's an understanding that comes. There was knowledge that we didn't have before. There was a knowing, not knowing of him that we start to know now. And we can keep coming back, and he will accept you every single time you come back to him. Every time. A billion times in your life. But that is the lowest way to live. 
That is the lowest form of Christianity. Even though it's acceptable, I'm not talking about eternity. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm just saying as a believer, when we come to him, these two men recognized God as God. It's not about recognizing who he is, but there is a level. There is a life that he's looking for of growth, of where you didn't know and now you know you're growing and you're maturing. And the devil wants us to grow more like him, which is tired, weak, apathetic, judgmental, cold, and worldly. You don't have to fight to grow that way. If you took a glass of hot water and you set it on your counter, it will become cold all on its own. Doesn't need to do that. Doesn't need to do anything to do that. It just will grow cold. It takes work to heat up, doesn't it? To get it hot takes work. It doesn't take any work to come to him. But once you come to him, he gets to work. Let's say that again. That was good. Doesn't take any work to come to him. But once you come to him, he gets to work. Again, this is just checking your heart. I'll just be a few more minutes. I just want us to look inward and evaluate. If we're not working towards pressing forward, then we are slowly or rapidly falling backward. Period. You are, fall, you are fallen, past tense, away when you came to him. You are already fallen. Think about that. You are already cold. You're already far. You came to him. You made the choice to come to him. So if we leave, if we turn the thermostat, if we just stop, if we just take our hands off, we just let life start just going, does he love us? Is there a question of his love? Absolutely not. Does he love you? Will he send a million voices from all around you to get you back? Absolutely. Do you have to listen to them? You don't have to listen to a single one. Do you know that's what Jesus said? They were like, man, who are you? Our father. <laughs> he said, we, we, our father's God is Abraham, Moses. They're looking at the prophets. They're looking at the law. They're looking at their, their Torah. They're looking at their book. And they're saying, who's Jesus? He's like, you're not God's sons. You're sons of the devil. <laughs> and he told them so straight because they had killed all of his prophets, the voices that were coming to straighten them out one by one. And Jesus is standing there thinking and knowing, you're going to kill me too. You're even going to kill me. He still loved them. I love the line. We say it often as he's being nailed to the cross, forgive them, right? For they know not what they do. He still loves you. But it's the lowest, least form of Christianity to be crawling to him constantly, even though he'll love you and accept you that way. Does anybody have any question that he loves you and that he'll take you back every single time? Don't have that question. Don't. If you're in, the, in fact, if you're in that place of crawling to him, then you need to let that happen. Don't get burdened down. If that's the moment you're in, you need to do that. But then he's going to pick you up. He's going to stand you up. The Bible says he'll place your feet upon the rock. He stands you up and he establishes you 
and gets you moving. If we stop moving, he didn't make you come to him. He doesn't make you maintain. Maintenance in Christianity is by choice. It's complete choice. You feel compelled to pray, but you don't have to. I feel compelled to be in his word, but I don't have to. I've never had a Bible as I was walking at the door after not reading it fall on my head. Although spiritually, I feel like it did sometimes. Sometimes your day looks like I should have been in his word. Right? Who's had a day where you knew that the word would have helped? (laughs) The Bible says, though, that back in Genesis chapter 4, this made Cain, verse 5, This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. God didn't accept his offering, but Cain got angry at God and ultimately angry at his brother. As we know, the story says here in verse 6, Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? Verse 7. Come on, let's read this out loud. I will be Accepted if I do what is right. But if I refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Come on, everybody, say that out loud. Then watch out. If who refuses to do what is right, if God refuses to make you do what is right, or if I refuse to do what is right. If God was telling Cain to do what is right, do you think that Cain knew what was right? Why would God ask him to do what he didn't know? He asked him to do what he knew. He decided on his own to not ultimately, but he said sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. If you do not check yourself, if you do not check your heart, it is God, in one respect there is a rejection between your life and God, but it's not really him rejecting you. It's him rejecting your actions. Just as a father loves the child unconditionally, I guarantee that every mass murderer in prison today, their mother still loves them. She just does not agree with the lifestyle that was chosen. He loves him. And the choices hurt who? It hurts God just as it hurts that mother. Of course it does. It hurts God. But who did it hurt even more? Hurt yourself. Puts you in prison. They put themselves in prison by their own choices. We don't check our hearts, God. And one respect is what he's saying. is, And what it does is it actually pushes you away, even though Jesus Christ has drawn us in our choices, not because Jesus' love or his grace or his mercy has ended, but by our own choices, we push away from free grace. We push away from free mercy. It's free, but we have chosen to push away from it. And what it does, he tells us very clearly. I mean, this is Genesis 4. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know the books of the Bible, this is the first one. And uh, 4 is the beginning. This thing just got going. 
And he's warning us. This is warning humanity. He's warning humanity. Sin is crouching at your door if you are not active and watchful. But what does it say? Why would he tell Cain this last line? If it's not possible. But who? Come on out loud. But I, but I must subdue it. Which means it's possible through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through staying close to believers, through staying in his word and around his word and around believers proportionally much more than I'm around all the other influences. And in his presence, at least a portion of my day every day helps me to subdue it and be its master. God has called you to be sin's master, not for sin to be your master. But if you do not master it, it will master you, period. It is not hard because it says in verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God warned him, just as he's warning us constantly, work, get that thing out of you. My word is for your good. It's for your good. My word is not a book of suggestions. They're not suggestions. It is the way to live. The suggestion is the fact that he gave us free will, an amazing gift. We don't have to listen to his word. So we think they're suggestions, but they were not suggestions. And then it says this, and this is the saddest part. It says... Verse 14, Cain speaking to God, you have banished me from the land and from your presence. Pushes us out of God's presence. The the sin crouching at the door causes us, if we don't master it, if we let it control us, we need to listen to God because it pushes us out. And it said, verse 16, so Cain left the Lord's presence. I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to have communion, and just he'll continue on checking with our hearts. Has everybody ever heard the term Sunday best? You know that term? You know what that means? Sunday best, pointing to Tony dressing up. It means to Sunday best, I mean, it actually is in Webster's Dictionary. It's that known. It means one's best clothing worn to church or on a special occasion. And you know, when that started coming, when Sunday's best started, that term started coming out. I think it was, it's in the last hundred years, I know that, but I'm pretty sure it was the 1950s with the suits everybody was wearing to work. And it became, well, you wore it to church because you would want to be your best for him, which is not bad. You can dress up, you can dress down. I think it is okay to dress well for him, but God's not as interested in your clothing. Did you know that? You know what your best Sunday best is? (laughs) God's more interested in our Sunday best attitude. Everybody have a good attitude on Sundays? How about your Sunday best resolution to worship God? Everybody comes on Sunday, right, to worship him? We're all thinking about him as we're coming in the doors. Are we still thinking about our lives? 
It's okay to bring him your hurts and your pains, but then you have to make a resolution to worship him anyway, as we looked at Paul did. Paul could have been worshiping about his pains and his, and his chains and his prison, or he could choose, which he did, just to worship God anyway. Wake up call, you will always have something else around your life. It will never stop until the day you die to distract you. Whether that be physical or spiritual, something in your mind, something will always distract you. And if you don't make the choice now to give God your Sunday best, and by Sunday best, I mean 24-7 best. How about our Sunday best to thank God for all he's done? How about our Sunday best offering? God's grace is amazing. His love and his mercy never end. He loves you so much. He loves us, loves us, loves us, loves us. But if our hearts are not sold out to him, it's not that he's rejecting us, but it will cause our own lives to shipwreck. You'll do it to yourself. Let's stand. All right. So um, I wrote down a few words, and but um, it's just very complementary to what just Pastor Adam preached. I mean, it's just like just flowing into what he says, you know. And um, while we are doing communion, this is a, a ritual or tradition that was um, started by Jesus Himself. Uh, during the Last Supper, he told us, he told um, his di- disciples to eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of him. Um, the word communion comes from the King James uh, Bible translation, of, uh, in the Greek translation, and it really means sh- sharing. That's all he means. It's like we are sharing in, in, in Christ, you know, when we take the communion, yeah. And uh, so the, the act of taking the element together, that's what we are waiting all together to take the, um, the element, is to remind us that we are one body. We are all one body with him. Communion is also called uh, the Lord's Supper, and in some denomination it's called the Eucharist, but it's all the same thing. It's just to remember Jesus' sacrifice. And... Um, as we are about to partake of the element, we should remember three things. First one, if we read um, 1 Corinthians 11, 24. Um, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and says, Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And 25. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink is remembrance of me. So um, from this verse, we see that we should look back. We should um, participate in communion in remembrance of Jesus. We have to look back at the cross and remember what Jesus did for us. That's, that's the first point of our communion. And um, in... 1 Corinthians 11.26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, that means we have to look ahead. The scriptures say to do this until he comes. The first time Jesus came, 
he came as a, as a sacrificial, sacrificial lamb, you know. But when he comes back, he's coming back as a king, right. king of kings. And communion, com when we do communion, it's just a reminder that he's coming again. And uh, the third thing is uh, 1 Corinthians 11:28. And uh, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, in 29, for he who eats and drink in an unworthy manner eats and drink judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So that goes with what Pastor Adam was saying, that we are to look at ourselves, you know. And um, it's a communion, it's time to look within. We have to look at ourselves and recognize if any need, any area of our lives are not right before God. Then we have to repent of the sins, failure to do so, and, and then take part in communion is to bring judgment upon ourselves. So if there is something in your life which is not right, communion is like the best time to bring it before God. So we're going to take the element now. So Father, as we break this bread, we remember you, Lord. We remember the sacrifice that you, you did for us, Lord. And we bring any, if we have any uh, sins in our life, we bring them right to the cross, right to the cross before you, Lord. And we repent of the sin. And we, as we hit that bread, we remember you, Lord. As we, we take the cup of the blood, this is a blood, the new covenant in your blood. No, that blood is a, is a thing that will take away our sins, that will cover all our sins, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you again and praise you. And, and we take this blood and, and we, cover our, we thank you for covering our sins. Father, thank you, Lord. I thank you for for this day, Lord. And thank you that you reminded us today that to look inward, you know, to look inward for what you did for us. You know, it's like we can never repay you for this, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you, Lord. And we thank you that this, even this coming, this week of Thanksgiving, this this is a reminder of, of putting you first in all all we do, Lord. Thank you that when we get together with our family, this is this year it's going to be even more of a thanksgiving towards you. Amen. Thank you, Lord.